0: Please remain standing and pray with me. Lord, as we sing that song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we recognize how utterly we are dependent upon you. We cannot praise you as we ought. We cannot serve you as we ought. We can't even hear and receive the word of God preached or read as we ought. Without the empowerment of your Holy Spirit left to our own devices, we can't encounter you. So, Lord, we do pray with that song that you would come now, come to your people, and speak your word to us, and we will be sure to give you the praise and the honor and the glory. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and as always with Advent, I've got some splaining to do uh, because Advent is a very different season, particularly for people in our culture. This is a very jarring season. Things aren't, it's just what we think about what happens in the 40 days, 30 days before Christmas, and what the world thinks happens in the four weeks prior to Christmas are two entirely different things. Some of the visual cues we've set up are to remind us that we are in a different season here. You, you notice that uh, I'm wearing like purple today. Uh, no, uh, but no, purple is a symbol of royalty. And, and so we, you'll see people a lot of times, even in the congregation, dress in purity. Purity in purple. I hope you're dressed in purity. <laughs> I was praying for that, uh, but but dressed in purple because what it is, we're receiving King Jesus. We're preparing for King Jesus to come among us. Advent begins a new Christian year, so today is is New Year's Day. Happy New Year's, y'all. So I, I'm sure that uh, last night, you were spending that time on New Year's Eve in prayer and fasting, as you should, good, and, uh, and getting ready for church this morning. And so even the visual cues about how the church is arranged are, are a little different. You'll notice that what we usually have is the altar is usually right here. And so the pastor stands looking at the people. This is called versus populi, means just towards the people. And, uh, and so that's how, and it's kind of makes you feel like, you know, family, you know, you feel very family-like, you know, as we're all around the table together. And now we've got the altar back here, uh, against the wall. And so the ministers are going to be facing the altar and people say, well, they just think they're really special. They've just turned their back on all of us. That is so, that's so cold. It's so dis- no, actually what it is, it's actually a very, of all things, it's a very egalitarian move that the pastor and min- the minister and the people are all praying in the same direction. We're we're looking towards the coming of King Jesus. We're looking towards the coming of King Jesus. So Advent is a time of expectation, of longing, and for the coming, the second coming of Christ. And so we don't hear the Christmas story during Advent. We hear stories, you know, happy stories like Jesus coming to judge the earth, uh, John the Baptist, you know, the axe is laid to the root of the tree already. You know, God's going to bring fire on the earth. Happy stuff like that. It's all through Advent. Uh, it's actually very challenging. And, and yet the world at this time is, is telling us this is a season for merriment and, 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 uh, and shopping. You know, merriment and shopping. And actually for us, there are disciplines and dispositions of heart that are called on us to, to inhabit and to practice during this time because we're getting ready to meet King Jesus. Habits such as quiet reflection. Uh, we want to kind of take stock of where we are. Um, for instance, um, if, if I know that I've got guests coming this coming week. Lisa, my wife, is is with our daughter in, uh, in Kentucky. Uh, we're waiting for the third grandchild to be born, but Tom is intransigent, trans- intransigent and he's saying... Um, I just think it's pretty good where I am right now, and I'm not coming. So she's, she's, in, she's hovering in a holding pattern in Kentucky. So I'm at home, and I'm getting ready for these guests to come. So I'm cleaning the house, and, uh, and which is what you do when guests come, right? I'm taking stock. You notice that, oh, my goodness, I've got guests coming, and that doesn't look right. Or, oh, I don't think I've dusted that or that's been dusted in a long, long time. And so just like we do when a guest is coming, when we're getting ready for King Jesus to come, We we kind of take take stock, quiet reflection. Maybe time for repentance and amendment of life, and all of those things are very contrary to the to the absolute sensory overload that is trying to the world produces to try to uncouple you from your hard earned cash, and that's how they understand the season of Advent. The season of Advent is also a season of hope. Season of Advent is a season of hope. That's critical for us as believers in this time because the world around us, I think, is probably, I have a sense in my own spirit, I feel it when I'm around friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, uh, I, that sense there's a, a, a deep malaise, a sense of hopelessness that is just kind of in the air. It's like the smoke from the wildfires in the western part of the state. It just it just is everywhere. You can't get away from it. And I, I saw it uh, particularly surrounding the election, uh, this very divisive time in, in our country's history. And no matter which side you happen to be on, uh, everybody was was assured that no matter who got elected, the apocalypse was going to occur. And so, and, yeah, and so there's this fear and there's this hopelessness. And it's not just me that picks up on that. Actually, statistics are are indicating this too. Tim Keller, in his new book, uh, Making Sense of God, writes about this. He said the U.S. He says U.S. suicide rate surges to thirty-year high. Said the headline on an April 2016 New York Times front-page article. The overall suicide rate rose 24 percent from 1999. Okay, listen to that again. 24 percent rise from 1999 to 2014. With the rise over the last eight years, listen, so that means the most recent eight years, double the annual rises the first seven years. It tripled, the suicide rate tripled for girls 10 to 14 and and rose for every racial and gender category except African American men. Various experts were, of course, consulted within the article for explanations. One attributed the trend to diminishing job and economic prospects. Yet the suicide rate of black men, perhaps the most economically excluded population of all, was not rising. Robert Putman, professor of public policy at Harvard, was the only expert cited in the article who mentioned the word hopelessness. Innumerable polls in the United States and Europe... Show declining confidence about the future. No matter how all this is analyzed, it adds up to a loss of hope. Well, beloved, Advent as a season in general, and today's scriptures in particular, reveal that Jesus Christ gives to his followers the gift of hope. And people, as and living as a people of hope, it makes us structure our life in a very particular way. Christ gifts us with hope, and that hope structures our life in a particular way. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The scriptures, all the scriptures we read, point to hope this morning. God promises in the scriptures that his people's deepest longings will be fulfilled. We hear that in the passage from Romans we just heard read. Besides this, no, you, besides this you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. Salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Well, now Paul wrote that about 2,000 years ago. Yeah, so if it was close then, think about how close it is now. Folks, it's plumb right around the corner. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. What is he talking about? He's talking about God, the consummation of all of God's work in Jesus Christ, which will be fulfilled when Christ comes again in glorious majesty at the end of the age to judge the wicked, to reward his followers, and to establish his kingdom. And we're looking forward to that. It's hope. We have hope. Isaiah chapter 2, the Old Testament text, spoke of the deepest longings and hopes of the people of Israel. Again, just very quickly listen to that passage. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, Torah is actually what it says, instruction, instruction. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You know, we long as God's people, if the Holy Spirit is in our lives, there's certain longings. It's, it's kind of like there are hungers that God plants in his children who have come to know Christ by faith and by grace. And we long for some of these things. Such as for the restoration of creation. We know that creation itself is out of joint. And we long for it to be restored to the beauty and peace that God has intended for. it. We long for justice. Folks, um, I've got, I, would, I am so heartbroken for people who have a secularist, this world only worldview. Because for this reason. Because if this life, if for this life we have hope only, then there is no such thing as justice. Because all you have to do is open a newspaper and see what the writer of Ecclesiastes saw in his own day, which is the righteous receiving the reward of the wicked and the wicked receiving the reward of the righteous. And so if you hunger and thirst for justice, and and I think we do, I mean, we all do. The very first things that children learn to say after they say yes and no, or, or excuse me, no and yes, is it's not fair. God has given us a craving for justice. We long for that, and we hear that expressed in these scriptures. We long for the end of suffering and war. We long for an end of death, that great terror that separates us from our loved ones and and ultimately separates us from all that we hold dear as we are called away by death. We long to be united to God in love forever. And, you know, those longings, I think, are all brought together and, and articulated most powerfully. I know I'm re- reading a lot of the Bible this morning. So, by the way, just I want you to know this. If you're, if you're, if you're a guest at Christ Church, this is new for you. Um, it's kind of hard to understand what we're doing here because, yeah, we do, you know, men wear dresses. And, uh, and we, we're rather fetching in them. And... Um, <laughs> And, and, and it looks kind of like, you know, wow, this looks very ancient or weird or whatever. But I want you to know at the heart of Anglicanism, because it can be expressed like this, or it can be expressed in very low church, very informal ways as well. At the heart of the Anglican way of being a Christian is this. We are a Bible church. We are a Bible church. We are inundated with scripture in the daily office and throughout the readings we heard today. We are, you are in a Bible church. And so you're going to hear a lot of scripture. And I think the scripture that really articulates that longing. Sorry, Keith, you're in the splash zone. Um, yeah. <laughs> is, is that passage from revelation 21? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the Holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. This is awesome. Y'all, this is what we hope for. listen, adorned as a bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away. He personally will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he, he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Amen. Amen. Maranatha come Lord Jesus. We're people of hope. You have have no business running around as hopeless people. Remember the promises you've been given. You see, the good news is that our hope, this hope, is not just wishful thinking. It's not delusional. It's not self Delusion. Our hope is certain because God has repeatedly shown his faithfulness in the past. He's shown his faithfulness in many, many ways. Two very important ways. Sort of the, the trump cards of God's faithfulness. The first one is he promised to send Messiah. We hear the first promise in the garden where the Lord God says to the woman that you, the, the seed the woman will bruise the serpent's head and it shall strike at his heel. It was a messianic prophet. Promised that God was going to do something about the fallenness of his human creation. And from there to the very end of the Old Testament, in the book, in the the Italian prophet Malachi, (laughs) Malachi, Malachi 3:1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And God fulfilled that promise. I think about the first time that the Lord suddenly came to his temple. Kind of this whole sense here is surprisingly comes to his temple and he shows up as Jesus to be dedicated on the eighth eighth day. And Simeon holds him in his hands. And he says that he says, "Lord, now lettest thou, thy servant, depart in peace, for these eyes of mine have seen the Savior, whom you have prepared for all the world to see, a light to enlighten the nations and the glory of your people, Israel." A baby in the temple, and the Lord had shown up. He did it, He promised, and he fulfilled it. That's why hope isn't a delusion. And the second reason why hope isn't a delusion is because the greatest fear that all of us have, and if you, are, if you don't fear this, you're just not thinking straight, <laughs> the, greatest, the greatest terror that we face in our natural selves is death. But brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is victor over death. He has conquered the grave. He said he would rise again and doggone it if he didn't do it. He sure enough did. He kept his promise. Tim Keller again writes, Jesus' death destroys the power of death. As it says in Acts chapter 2, God raised him from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Keller continues, put another way, the darkness of death swallowed Jesus. He entered it, but then blew a hole out the back of it. He entered death and blew a hole out the back of it because he was innocent. And it had no right to him. Now, however, it also has no ultimate right to those who by faith rest in him. If God is faithful to send Messiah, which he had been promising from the time of the garden to the time of the prophet Malachi. If he was faithful to fulfill that promise. If God was faithful to fulfill his promise to conquer death. Why don't we think he is faithful to keep all his promises? And that's why we have hope. One of the things that we're going to be doing in this coming year—the year starts today—and this is uh, the emphasis the Lord has given Christ Church for this coming year—is a praying church. We are a we are to be a praying church. And one of the things I have encouraged people to do—if you were here for the annual meeting, you heard about it—but let me encourage you to do this now. Every one of us needs to get needs to get a prayer journal. I don't care what it looks like. It can be a moleskin. You can go get the Harry Potter journal. I don't care. Just get a prayer journal at, at Barnes and Noble. They'd love to see you this time of year. And, uh, and so what you do is you just take that and you begin. I've got a prayer journal. I've got 18 prayer requests that, that I can do nothing about. In other words, you know, when people say, oh, just put, put feet on your prayers. Well, folks, I'm like the, the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee when the storm is raging. Jesus is asleep on the cushion in the back of the boat. And they say, Lord, don't you care that we perish? He stands up and he rebukes the wind and the wave. He says, peace, be still, and the, and the storm is over with. He didn't say, put feet on your prayers. He got up and did something about it. That's the kind of things I've got in my prayer journal. 18 things right now I can do nothing about, and I'm praying for God to do something about that. And I want to all to do this because as we see God answer those prayers, we will give testimony throughout this year, culminating at our next annual meeting, give testimonies of God's faithfulness to answer prayers. You want to know what's going to happen with that? When we see, when we hear and see God's faithfulness, we are going to have our hope and our confidence in God increase, increase, and increase. Advent is a season of hope. Hope is not a delusion. It is sure and certain. Hope changes the way that we live in the present. It doesn't just change our attitudes. It actually changes the way we live in the present. God gives us endurance through hope. If you, if you have hope, you can endure just about anything. This is why I still go to the dentist because I hope it will be over and I can endure it. Until the procedure is over with. I am dentist phobic. So dentist phobic. I just don't like the dentist. Uh, they've got great drugs now. So they just, you know, they, they meet me with a canister of nitrous on the way in. And everything's cool after that. But, but it, seriously, we can endure when we know that there is an end in sight. When we have a promise. So it actually changes the way we encounter the here and now. Writing um, in the middle of the 20th century, uh, Scholar Howard Thurman um, wrote and gave a lecture on the hope of the, the Christian faith of African slaves in the 19th century. Uh, Howard Thurman was, a, was an African-American scholar himself, and he insisted that the Christian hope that the African slaves in North America had taught a people how to ride high in life, to look squarely in the face Those facts that argue most dramatically against all hope, and to use those facts as a raw material out of which they fashioned a hope that their environment, with all its cruelty, could not crush. This enabled them to reject annihilation and to affirm a terrible right to live. Hope gives us the power to endure. It also calls us to be fully engaged in this present moment. Far from being an opiate that that numbs us to what's going on around us, we heard it in all the passages, particularly in the Romans passage and in the Matthew passage this morning, where it literally, Paul says in one place, wake up. And Jesus says, stay awake. Be engaged in this moment. Become situationally aware. Don't, Don't cloud your mind with fleshly pursuits. And worldly endeavors that will only distract you from the reality that needs to be dealt with right now. As people of hope, we don't need to have those numbing escapist practices cloud our lives. You see, hope calls us to live the reality of what we hope for here and now. What we hope for in the future is to be lived out here and now. So, Don't be distracted. Don't be blinded by the works of darkness. That's what Paul says in in Romans 13, verse 12 and following. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. That's right. The prayer we prayed at the beginning of this service, the collect for the first Sunday of Advent, quotes that exactly. And then he says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies, which is wild carousing, parties, drunkenness, and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality. That word in the Greek actually literally is beddings. In other words, if you think the hookup culture is something that has come come upon us uh, in the recent years, no. It's been around since the first century A.D. And it was exactly the same thing going on in that day and time as goes on now. I'm going to live my life and numb myself to the realities of this existence in a hedonistic pursuit. These are activities of people who need to escape, people who do not have hope. We don't have to take the path of numbing ourselves to the bleakness of existence because we don't have a bleak existence. We live in Christ promises not in quarreling and jealousy in in other words here's another thing that blinds us to the hope that we have is when we get wrapped up in the petty quarrels and jealousies of this life Um, one of my daughters I won't say which one because you know this is going out on the on the interwebs and I don't want to I don't want to rat anybody out I don't think her neighbor listens to the uh, preaching from Christ church but if he did I didn't want I don't want to know so uh, I guess that's all I've taken care of that Um, but um, my, my daughter lives next door to a, an older gentleman. He's actually almost exactly my age. I think he might be just a little bit older. Now, I don't think I look like a spring chicken. I, sh- I shaved this beard off. I look a lot younger. But, uh, but this guy looks old. He looks old. And I'll tell you why he looks old. Is that he has hoarded all of his resentments. He is a ever-diminishing, tight little ball of jealousy and quarreling and resentment. And it's making him a smaller and smaller person. And I know for a fact it has blinded him to the love of his wife and his ability to be in relationship with her. It has blinded him to the reality of a loving and forgiving God because he's living in jealousy and resentment and quarreling. We're called not to live like that because we have hope. And all of that brings us to the Lord's Supper. Because every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, every time we have Eucharist, this is a little advent. This is Advent for us over and over again. One of the great blessings that comes with frequent celebration of Holy Communion is that we are forced to, just like we do in this season of Advent, we are forced to examine our lives again and again. As we prepare to receive the sacrament, we're challenged to let the Holy Spirit convict us of those areas where we need to repent and seek for God's forgiveness, which is why we also have a confession before Holy Communion every Sunday as well. You see, Christ comes, he comes Again, every Eucharist in humble glory, not clothed in majesty, not clothed in the terrible raiment of clouds and rainbows surrounded by cherubim. He comes in the humble glory veiled in bread and wine. But he is at this table in a real impalpable way. <laughs> And for those who wait expectantly for Christ's return and are open to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, this is a wonderful foretaste. This table is a wonderful foretaste of that great day. Uh, Back in 2003, we had friends who were attending the church that we'd planted in Fayetteville. Um, They had a four-year-old daughter, and then they had a, 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 a set of twins that were several years older. And their four-year-old daughter, Hannah, was playing upstairs in the bonus room over the carport, over the garage. And then there's a, outside of the bonus room, uh, there's the the parking area, concrete pad and all that stuff for the vehicles. And the the window was open in the bonus room. And Hannah was playing near that window. And the first, you know, the, the older sister, the responsible older sister said, Hannah, get away from the window. (laughs) that's dangerous. Well, Hannah, four-year-old and and, uh, also a little um, contrary, kind of pulled away to get away from her sister who was correcting her and went right out the window. Hannah was holding like a My Little Pony hard plastic toy at the time, about that big. She fell out of the window. She hit the top of the minivan, and then she landed on the concrete. And the way that she landed, if she hadn't had that minivan there, she would have probably died. The way she landed, though, was her, she hit her head on the hard plastic hoof of that, that little pony that she was holding onto, and had a severe circular cranial um, fracture. It, it damaged her brain's speech and motor centers. And they thought that she was going to be disabled for the rest of her life. And, but Hannah was miraculously healed, miraculously healed, total function, everything restored. Um, better than before. I mean, she was just an amazing, amazing miracle. The Sunday that they came back to church after Hannah's recovering, uh, we had Holy Communion. We had Holy Communion every week in that church as well. And, um, and so, uh, her mom and dad came up. Her dad was a chaplain at Fort Bragg. Uh, her mom and dad came up and her older siblings came up. Everybody received Holy Communion. Hannah just kind of looked at me like that and walked on by. And I didn't offer her the Lord's Supper. Uh, and so Hannah gets home and tells her mama, she used to, usually called me Pastor Ben, but she said to her mama, I'm mad at that man. And what man? I am mad at that man, M- me, the pastor. And she said, well, why are you mad at him? She said, he wouldn't let me come to Jesus. And, and it dawned on um, her mama that what she was saying was he wouldn't let me have Holy Communion. And so she said, well, Hannah, different churches do different ways. And so a lot of churches, they want to make sure that you really know Jesus before you come to the Lord's table, before you receive Holy Communion. And Hannah said, well, I know Jesus. And she said, well, honey, I know that Jesus is in your heart. You know, that's what we say in the South. He's in your heart. Uh, He's in your life is what he's in, not just your heart. He's bigger than that. But I know that Jesus is in your heart. And Hannah said, no, 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 that's not what I mean, mama. I mean, I know Jesus. And she said, well, what are you talking about? Well, when I fell out the window, you remember when I fell out the window? Who could forget? She said that uh, after I'd hit the ground and she wasn't responsive, she said an angel came and got me and took me to Jesus. And, and he held me and he said, Hannah, you have to go home now for a little while because your mama can't live without you. And you need to come home. And, uh, and when Melinda, her mom, told me this, she said, what Hannah didn't know, what nobody knew, see they had lost a child previously, is, um, the, is that Melinda was praying non-verbally, in, innerly, inwardly, she was praying, Lord, I cannot lose another child. I cannot live without this child. She prayed those exact words. And Jesus said to Hannah, your mama says she can't live without you. Now, here's the point of this story. Hannah said, I wouldn't let her come to Jesus. This four-year-old child recognized that Jesus was present at his table. She saw how, I don't know how, but at the Lord's table, she saw Jesus. And we prepare to meet him at this table. Advent, though, is also a time of judgment. It reminds us that God's judgment is coming. And so if we don't come, if we come, to this ta- if we come to the Lord's table without properly preparing, if we have secret sin that we will not confess to him, or if we have deceived ourselves about our sins so that we may hold on to them, if we, might, if we are seeking to hold on to our petty resentments, if we're seeking to hold on to our petty immoralities or maybe gross immoralities, if we're seeking to coddle and maintain our addictions, coming to the Lord's table without repentance is an invitation to judgment. Jesus welcomes repentant sinners, but unrepentant sinners receive judgment at the Lord's table. And that's why we fence Holy Communion here. We say if you come with faith and repentance, you're welcome at the Lord's table. Brothers and sisters, our hope is made ever more sure and certain as we experience Christ's coming week in and week out at this meal. He is faithful to come. And so, brothers and sisters, go out from this place into the... uh, into the smoky, hopeless atmosphere that's out there right now. And be people of, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, putting on Christ, filled with this hope. Let us live that hope out in front of a world that is not believing with such joy and anticipation that they ask us about the hope we have within us. And we can give them a reason for why we have that hope. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.